welcome to Euro Not The 92. We're not calling it Not The 92 this week. Reason being, the European Championships are in full swing and we thought myself and Tom would add our just great football expertise to what has already been a fantastic week of football on the continent. Never, however, neglecting that we do also cover the fantastic world of non-league football and that non-league drip will also be on this show today. Plenty, so much to cover in this show. Ever since I brought you my solo show last week, there has been great participation from everyone in our votes for the player of the season, manager of the season, moment of the season. Uh, and we really wanted to send our thanks to all those who voted and also wanted to introduce you to this show because this is where we'll reveal not only the award winners, significant, insignificant as they may be in some cases, <laughs> they, will have, they will hold value for us because our point of view and who we think deserves the right of passage to be classified as a not the 92 award title winner. But... Uh, before we continue, as always, Blue Party, shout out to you, as always, for the intro. Stra Stra Stranger living in, my, in our heads. Funny, it was in my head. And <laughs> it's a great song. Check it out on your favourite music uh, listening platform below. And if you also want to get some great kits and some fantastic non-league attire for your team next season, you can go to Fowley Sports to see more. And really, they have some great things. They are really good kit makers. So... Turn to them if you want to see some more special stuff. Tom, it's great to see you. I did it on my own last week. Now I have you here. At last, I can have someone to lead on for certain things. But um, talk to me, mate. What a week of football it's been, not only on the European front, but also uh, on the National League. Oh, incredible. The, yeah, great to get the Euros underway, uh, firstly. Um, yeah, oh, who doesn't love international tournaments? But the playoffs, oh, what a weekend it is. It, you know, six goal thriller uh, at, at Playmore. And uh, yeah, a shock in the Northwest as well. So it hasn't disappointed this weekend. And obviously the weekend before the bar was set high with uh, two, three, two uh, thrillers. So um, yeah, the, the playoffs have been outstanding. Probably actually the best I remember in recent years, to be honest. And it's been one of the best National League seasons I remember in recent years as well. So, uh, it's, you know, it's been a cracking season. Yeah, for the playoffs to be this great as well, it just puts the chair on top of the cake. Yeah, how exciting this National League season's been, despite there being no fans. So, yeah, look forward to talking about that and obviously the European Championships. And it's been some fairly big news as well in the non-league world. And, yeah, so uh, looking forward to talking about you uh, this evening. As always, these shows are constructed on a happy-go-lucky basis. We always seem to want to talk about everything, everything that is football. Uh, but a chill goes down the back of my neck at this point. Um, I never like talking about the plights of football players on, on the world stage. I never like seeing things like this. Oh, glad to say I never did. But we here at Lot 92 would like to send our wholehearted love, support and best wishes to Christian Eriksen. Ultimately, we never... We never wish ill harm on anyone or anything, let alone bad luck to fall on a team. But when you see a teammate of yours collapse on the pitch and you're pretty much helpless in that scenario, it is a terrible, terrible time to be a football player because life does then take over everything that you know. He thankfully is well and I've... I've been glad to say I've met him on two or three occasions working around the UK. He's a wonderful human being and 
He's, he's got great reputation in the game. Recently became a champion in Italy with Inter Milan. And so was about was on the beginning of a journey with his national team to try and keep them going in the European Championships after the success of a very good World Cup. And, also, and uh, for, for him to have that happen, it stunned not only myself, but uh, everyone in the football world. So we here obviously wanted to pass on our best wishes and hopefully a very speedy and healthy recovery for Christian Eriksen. We're glad that he's still with us now and we hope that nothing more than the best for him in the future. We know he's now going to be fitted with a, um, an ICD, which is something to look after his heart and be able to monitor it if, uh, to avoid such things happening or help restart it if such a uh, situation happens again. So he's only the second player in professional football to have that. The other one is Daley Blint, a Dutchman, who has a similar uh, issue to uh, what Ericsson had. However, his was a bit more a bit more uh, fully aware, fully known before it happened. So, yeah, we're hoping the best for him. And as always, he's, it's good to hear that he is well and we always want nothing more than the best for everyone and anyone who plays football, regardless of the level. So, Christian, from us here to you in Denmark, we wish you well, mate, and we hope you get better very, very soon. Now, let's talk about the good stuff, shall we? We'll start, as always, with the European Championships. Starting with a blockbuster evening in Rome last week. Nasser and Dorma from, from, by Andrea Bocelli giving Pavarotti the justice he deserves. The fantastic performance from Italy, tearing the Turkish apart by three goals to nil. Started a tournament off in earnest. We obviously had what happened with Christian Eriksen on Saturday. But even through those harrowing moments in Copenhagen... Finland squeezed past Denmark for their first ever tournament victory uh, for the country, which, as the circumstances may have overshadowed it, a historic achievement for, uh, sorry, achievement for the side over in the Scandinavian region. They then moved on to Belgium, beating Russia. We had a great on, on, on Saturday afternoon. Sunday, England beat Croatia at Wembley. I was there. What an atmosphere. Great, great time as well. I can't tell you how excited I am to be at the next one. I, it really is. Thankfully, Greg Clark's not here. So we've managed to... So we tried to get him on, but I think he's still in limbo as to whether he got over David Marshall being lobbed by Patrick Schickers. I'm not sure he has. And I think it's safer that we keep him away from here this week. We'll see what happens if he gets him on after this, after Friday. That along with six goal, Yarmolenko stunning with Holland's 3-2 win against Ukraine. They're, the week hasn't even ended yet. We're recording on Thursday. Wales are, all, are practically through the winning after winning against Turkey, we Turkey the other dogs eliminated. We dark horses before the tournament started. Not anymore. They're out of the competition practically. That and along with all sorts of dramas that have happened this week, Tom. Like for you, what's been for the first week of the competition? What has for you been the more interesting moments so far? You know what I, I was saying this to you before we went on air. I. Honestly, thought that Turkey Wales game yesterday was my favourite game in the tournament so far. Okay, it wasn't a thriller that what um, a Netherlands and Ukraine was, but it was just I felt Wales was you know there were so many Turkish fans in the stadium. You had the little pocket of loyal Welsh fans. Uh, shout out by the way to it was a Sutton fan, uh, Medibot. Um, I follow on Instagram and I think I, saw, I even saw him on a BBC TV. So yeah, he's one of the uh, few Welsh fans who's out there um, in Baku at the moment following the team. 
they were unbelievable yesterday. Um, the football they played was really good. It was an improvement on the Switzerland game, but I felt just the defensive resilience and Yilmaz was getting frustrated. I just felt the Turkish just lost their heads, really, and, and the Welsh stayed very calm, even despite Bell missing the penalty and Ramsey missed some really good opportunities early on. Could have had a hat-trick, to be honest, but that goal he took was, was superb. And the sealer from Conor Roberts, he, that moment for Conor Roberts, you could tell how much that meant to him. It's that he said it's a pinnacle of his career. It's what it's what he's dreamt of. It's what every Welsh boy dreams of playing at a major tournament for Wales. And yeah, that hadn't you know, Wales had such a drought playing at major tournaments. Now it's going to be back to obviously back to back Euros for them now. And they're starting to get in the swing of qualifying major tournaments more regularly now. Wales and that moment meant so much to them. And I just felt, yeah, they were up against it, but the resilience they showed and the, I thought they were really yeah, entertaining to watch. Actually, that's my favourite game of the tournament. Um, and I'm I'm maybe one of the strange people. I actually cheer for the, the home nations. Obviously, part of their other home nations, part of their play in England, obviously. But I really wanted the Welsh to do well. Um, just like wanted the Scots to do well. You know, I know it sounds mad, but I did want them to do well. Uh, on Monday against Czech Republic. And I'd say, obviously, <laughs> the goal of the tournament, that's pretty much short, isn't it? Um, Schick, oh my word. That header was sensational as well. That was an unbelievable header plant into the corner. Can't forget about that one. But that, phew. David Marshall, we can talk about his position all we like, but the way Schick bended that, uh, it was so far out. And it just curled right, right into the centre of the goal, though. It was a beauty. I, can, I think a lot of people are going to be after him in the summer. But sensational. So yeah, I put the um, to my favourite moment of the tournament though so far. I made is that is that Wales game yesterday. Um, so that was that was fantastic. That's the one that's really stood out to me. Uh, but if you think of other things that stood out, Italy as a team, they're the team certainly to watch at the moment. Okay, they you could say haven't been tested against anyone in, in the upper class of, of the teams that are in the European Championships. But you know the. They still swept some solid teams aside. I mean, I know Turkey disappointed, but still, you look at them. They, as you mentioned, they were dark horses comfortably on on the opening game, and they got the they got the fans behind them. But you know, the, there's a pressure playing in front of your own fans as well. And Italy have handled it so well, and they got such good balance in defence, and they play again. They played some excellent football. So I certainly think they're my team to watch so far. They've been the ones that caught my eye. Um, I think a lot of people expect the Belgian to do really well, um, but Italy didn't quite have those plaudits in the build up. Um, for them really competing to try and win the uh, 2020 Euro. So, yeah, all, all to play for. Um, loads loads more great football to come, but it's been um, a really good start uh, football-wise to the Euros. Absolutely. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching as much of it as possible. Challenge is when w- one must constantly consider every single game to be taken seriously, even the ones that don't matter. Today being Thursday... We've had a great game between Belgium and Denmark, which was which was obviously well observed in the in paying tribute to Christian Eriksen in the tenth minute he kicks the ball and everyone applauded. It was lovely to see. But on the pitch, they took the lead in two minutes. Denmark thought it would have been you know could this be their day? Could this be the moment for their tournament to really begin? They were leading, they dominated the first half, just couldn't hang on in the end. Some fantastic play, though, for the equaliser, uh, but for, for, the, for the Belgians. And it, I thought then, after that, when Hazard scored it, by the way, it was a great start from Lukaku to bring it into the feet. He stole it from Drew Mertens, in my opinion, because Mertens was standing at the back post, waiting for it to come to him. And then Torgan Hazard burst in to steal it at the last second. 
Then uh, the, the second Belgian goal was different class, honestly. It was the two Hazards connecting after Lukaku muscled off the Danes for goodness knows how long before eventually playing into Torgan, Torgan to Eden Hazard. Hazard to De Bruyne's first time shot, which is the cleanest left footed strike I've ever seen. Into the bottom corner. There are team goals, Tom, but that is insane. The other thing about De Bruyne, he's actually done it before as well, that sort of strike. He's insane. Honestly, he's so far up the list for me in world's best players. I know it's the obvious too, Messi, Ronaldo, but De Bruyne's got to be in that conversation. He's unbelievable, that... And so, yeah, to come off the bench, as you all know, in the build-up, people, when you talk about Belgium, stop talking about, obviously, you know, I had the, the broken nose um, in the Champions League final, but, you know, you wouldn't think he, he, he'd had a broken nose recently. He's just changed the game as per usual um, when he's on the pitch. Just a flawless footballer, a clean striker, the ball, can do anything. He's, a, he's, he's an utter magician for Manchester City in Belgium. Just an absolute joy to watch. And Lukaku... I mean, um, I watched uh, Roberto uh, Martinez documentary uh, last night and, you know, there was a clip actually from when uh, Martinez first got the job. He says, I want to turn Lukaku, I've worked with him at Everton, but I want to turn him to the world-class striker on the big stage that I know he can be. I think Martinez has delivered developing Lukaku uh, on, on that promise. The, Lukaku is another level now and people talk about, oh, he's only a goal scorer before just have to look at the build-up in that second goal. Absolutely outstanding. World-class players all over. Actually, uh, Belgium, my pick to win the tournament. Um, a lot of people went for France. And don't get me wrong, France, obviously, a world-class team. But for me, I, I think this is Belgium's time. And although they weren't great today, it just proves that these are the players they've got at their disposal can just change the game like that. And they've got a very good team as well. They can't play amazing all the time, but they have ways to win games. And that's a tough atmosphere. Obviously, the Danish... As we know, they were really going to, to win for Christian Eriksen. And um, what a story it would have been as well. To, it was so fitting that they took the lead in two minutes and the place just erupted and there was so much emotion. Um, I think if you're neutral, you probably would have been cheering for Denmark for the obvious reason. But credit to the Belgians. You know, the atmosphere in Copenhagen, it must have been tough for them. They just withstood and they managed to stay patient and found a way to get back in the game and, and, and get another three points aboard there. They're through to round 16. So, yeah, Roberto Martinez, in my eyes, has done a very good job with Belgium so far. Just now have to get that silverware, really, that um, the set of players deserve. Yep. So, more or less now, it's about ensuring the security of their spot in the competition. Belgium, for me, yeah, I'm glad to agree with you. They have a potential to become European champions. They do have to consider... France and Portugal should there one or two come out of that group of death. But then again, you can also ensure that teams will want to the teams that will be competing with them in this competition will want to make as hard for them as possible. The Italians, for me, are are true underdogs because of the fact that they have been for so long ignored in the sense that they didn't make it to the last World Cup. It was such a big deal when they fell to. Uh, failed to qualify, and following on from that, they've now gone unbeaten in 29 games, uh, in, and they've not conceded in a good amount of them, large number of them. So they're a very different team on the Roberto Mancini. They should not be underestimated in the knockout phase at all. Second, yeah, Belgium definitely will be threatening, and they're treating this group stage. I think, I think we're not so much with like content. I think just as seriously as 
they can. Today demonstrated what will happen if you rest on your laurels a little bit and start to let teams dictate the games early. Yes, they'll have the 90 or so, but you have 90 minutes to do it, but you still have to play the game as it should be played. Beyond that, though, they should be favourites to qualify from uh, quarterfinals at best for me. If they get at least to the quarterfinals, we'll see how they fare after that. Uh, right now, Holland are playing Austria as we're recording this, and the Dutch are winning. We don't want to curse luck or anything like that, but there is still a little bit of uncertainty about the Dutch's current team and how it's set up, not so much the players involved in it, but it does look like they're on, on their way to qualify for the last 16 as well. We have tomorrow afternoon, there's all sorts of incredible football being played. Spain against uh, Spain, Slovakia, Poland versus Sweden tomorrow when we are on Friday. All sorts of like, all sorts of crazy football to look forward to. So hopefully you all enjoy it as well as we are. And we preview England, Scotland, but we can uh, we will talk we could talk about that all night long. Very succinctly, tomorrow afternoon is night is huge for England. A win for them will, will secure a place in the last 16, but will kind of negate the chances of them getting to the quarterfinals because they would have to meet a group of death team. So part of me is kind of hoping that we draw tomorrow night just to be on the safe side. If the Czech Republic beats Croatia tomorrow, then it would mean we at least need a point against Scotland to finish, at least qualify second uh, at best. But we have to wait and see. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. We'll give you more, obviously, on the Euros and our thoughts on the competition uh, as, it, as, as it gets up to the point of the final match day next week. By, in fact, by next Wednesday, all the groups are done. So we will tell you then what, who's made it through and what we hope to see in the knockout phase. But until then, enjoy it because we're enjoying it. Not much to do in the summer period now other than watch the Euros and more importantly, there's another summer event we need to discuss uh, right now. We now turn to what we know best here on this podcast, and that is the non-league world. And, well, again, like for drama, I, you can't say that the playoffs haven't done as much to, you know, make it as exciting uh, as many would think it would, as many would have thought it wouldn't be. Two great playoff Soviet eliminators last week. That's Saturday gone. So the Saturday went. Notts County pulled off a miracle against Chesterfield in the 90th minute. And then, and then you have a another great 3-2 of a Hartlepool when Bromley sort of scared them after Hartlepool raced away with a 3-0 lead. This, team, this past weekend, we had the two semi-finals. Torquay took on Notts County, who had been imperious at the end of the regular season and in the playoff win against Chesterfield. On the other side, you have the north, in the northwest Stockport and Hartlepool. They were two great games. Tom Mitchell watched both of them. I watched Torquay versus Notts, and I, I was enthralled by it. Let's start at Playboy, Tom. And for the sheer drama... It did not disappoint. Oh, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, Danny Wright scoring within a minute. I didn't rate the defender from Notts County. You can't switch off like that so early. But at the time, Notts County, I've got to give credit to them. They really calmed the game down, passed it well in midfield. And that goal to, to Rodriguez, um, the equaliser, was just a lovely, lovely team goal. And that run from Rodriguez and the header was perfection. Probably... If Ruben Rodriguez had been more consistent uh, this season, um, because he's really, you know, 
come into his own at, towards the end of the season. He, he'd be probably player of the season. He, the ability that man has got is sensational. But again, I think what really cost Notts County badly was the poor starts to both uh, both halves. So they kept their concentration. They, they could have won this game in normal time. But again, Danny Wright, you just, you know, you can't let that man have any time at all. And again, three minutes into the second half and he's uh, prolific prolific as ever couldn't miss that ball when it was squared into him in the box again Torquay uh, sorry Notts County lost it in a very stupid position um, again they're making silly errors but uh, that strike from Chickson from the corner few, you know a few minutes later was absolutely fantastic rifled it and you think and again can Notts County go on and kick on and win it but they couldn't win it in normal time and yeah a set piece headed in by one of the best players of the season for me in, in the National League Asa Hall and and then uh what was it three minutes later? Dean Moxie uh, converts a penalty, which was not a penalty in my opinion. Is that controversial? I'm, I'm not sure what what the <laughs> listeners may think, but in my opinion, it wasn't. I was with Adam Virgo. Um, he said it wasn't a penalty, and I, I definitely agree with him on that. But well taken from Dean Moxie. Um, again, a real good experienced player. If you want someone to take a penalty, he's definitely one of the players you, you want on the spot. So, yeah, and that was pretty much the game killed off when you well when you look at it like. Yeah, a two-goal margin with that amount of time to go. But I, I've got to say, Notts County had their chances. They kept on going, and I'll give them credit to the way they, they never gave up. And the football they played is still attractive football when they get going. And for me, congratulations to Torquay and getting, on, getting to the final. I mean, to be fair, I, I, looking at Torquay this season, they do... You, it, It's why I do think people... People say that there should be two teams going on. Torquay worked so hard to to get into that top two. It was only four points to them and Sutton in the end. You know, you definitely feel like Torquay sort of do deserve to go up. But obviously, it's the playoffs. It's a lottery that you know everyone's got a, a fair chance. But yeah, credit credit to uh, Torquay. They they fought really well and they were under the cost quite a lot of times. But again, I think Gary Johnson he's just brought that resilience to the side and that know how to win. Um, Ian Birchall said after the game that Notts County had the better of the chances. I probably agree with them, but yeah, they, they, it's I didn't take them though, and it's yeah, nationally football for them next season. But I think there shouldn't be any problems for Notts County next season. They have the right, they get some more players in defence, need to certainly strengthen that area. But the likes of Rue Rodriguez, Callum Roberts, Carl Woodson, got some real talent up top. They can maybe strengthen with the box spots midfielder as well. That'd be great. Um, but for Torquay, just one game away from getting themselves back to the Football League. And it is a really good story as well. Gary Johnson was a couple of seasons ago, obviously, te- you know, winning the National League South and then consolidating. And there's me mouthing off in the summer and the predictions that he the first manager to get sacks. They didn't, they weren't on very good form, really, in the last, I, I think the form guide uh, last, was it 17 games of last season, Torquay were set from bottom. Um, so you can see why the, I thought there was going to be a bit of pressure on Gary Johnson, but He's delivered. He's the master getting promoted. So we'll not be surprised at all. Ashton get on Sunday if Gary Johnson's side are celebrating uh, getting promoted and join something in the Football League. But all to play for, though. Yes, absolutely. And the classic justice being, uh, which I find bizarre, is he's going back to an old stomping ground in Bristol, yeah. having been Bristol City manager when they got them to the playoffs in 2008. We, we didn't. 90 minutes of getting him into the Premier League. One Dean Windows Thunderbolt sent Hull up instead. But even still, to make, you know, to get a team from Bristol within, you know, within a t- within touching distance of the Premier League 
was truly remarkable. And he deserved plaudits for that then. And he should do now for getting talking from National League South for what looked like for a long time, a hard period for the club, to them being now yet again 90 minutes away from returning to the Football League. Best part of seven, I think seven or so years after getting relegated. So you've got to give credit. You've got to appreciate how hard he's worked to get them back up to that position. And for the Torquay fans, it's not such a long trip from Torquay to Bristol. So whereas it will be a different trip for the next two sides we're going to talk about. But yeah, great performance for Torquay United. And yeah, touching on Notts County very quickly, though, because we, we don't know the fate of Torquay yet. But for me, Notts County went at a point in the regular season were probably the team that we all thought would be challenging for promotion. Reason being that they had the most games in hand, they would still mathematically be able to overhaul Sutton, Torquay and Hartlepool in the race for automatic promotion. Their form dipped a little bit on, in the latter stages of Neil Artley's reign as manager. Ian Burchell comes in, can't win his first couple games. Some concern starts to draw on the faces of a few fans. Uh, upon my visit there earlier in the season, later on in the season, it looks like it was one of those games where if they don't turn up today, their season will pretty much be over. Instead, it turns out to be quite, quite a different thing. Yes, they haven't made it to the final. But what for you would constitute success next season for Notts County? Um, they are, in my opinion, the owners will be looking for promotion next season. Ideally, they were hoping Ian Birchnell was going to have a real bounce effect and and get them competing for that, uh, at least for a top three spot. I don't know, there was real high hopes. But it took some while to Birchnell's methods to, to come through. But... If Ernest, the back end of the season, they played some brilliant football. And as I said, Ruma Rodriguez looks one of the star men in the league. And Carl Woodson's on really good form. And in the previous playoff game against Chesterfield, the spirit they showed was brilliant as well. Um, so it looks like they're really playing for Birchnell. There's a lot of questions, obviously. You know, were the players playing for Birchnell? Was he too nice? But I think he's he's a manager that looks like he really gets along with the players and they, they like the style of football. They just need to prove it in defence for me. And... Cal, if Cal Roberts can stay fully fit as well, that would certainly help. But for me, just yeah, I, I, I again, I need to, need to say once again, I think another a box box midfielder is a must. Um, don't wrong, Michael Dawes being a really good, experienced player um, throughout the years in, in football and for Notts County. But I think, I think taking on that assistant manager role permanently would be very good for him next season. Maybe there's one more year in him. Who, who knows? But for me, I don't think he can be a starter next season. Just just my opinion. Um, if he proves wrong, fair enough, but they need strengthen uh, certainly at the back and in that centre midfield. Um, but I, I really like Calvin Miller. He's one who's had a great end to the season uh, and one of the star men for me. Uh, spoiler alert: gets my team here. Dion Kelly Evans, massive fan. Uh, do remember getting sent off against Sutton in May, yeah. but it didn't cost not to count in the end. Obviously, one three two. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's someone. Um, I remember there, obviously the ex Notts County uh, assistant team, Birchnell Mo Ross, talking about about Kelly Evans having that real aggression. He loves that sort of player, and that's what he brings to the table. So he's going to be a key man to to keep hold of. Obviously, it's sad to see um, Enzo uh, Baldwin uh, move away. I thought he's one they were going to keep, but in fairness, he is replaceable at the same time. But I think he's done a, a solid job for them. Did have a poor shot 
I remember he was in a decent position on Saturday and he hit a shot well wide. But I mean, someone I, you know, I personally wish well. And I'm sure we'll get another good club. But yeah, again, someone I think they they could definitely get um, another pacey player in to help out the likes of Cal Roberts in, in attack. So I think I think they'll have a good summer, not to count you. And Ian Birchnell is a manager. I think that could certainly get them top three next season. Um, but for me, I, I certainly think they'll be one of my favourites to win the league. The, the talent's there. Just need to strengthen. I think the owners will give Ian Birchnell the budget to go and strengthen. So already, for me, they're, they're one of my favourites. Providing um, mm-hmm. nothing drastic happens, I don't know if, if Rue Rodriguez and all their quality players get poached and he, you know, Ian Birchnell walks out or something. I can't see that happening. Mm-hmm. Any drastic things like that, I think. Sensible decisions have been made. There's a lot to learn from this season, Notts County. It was a risk, in fairness, sacking Neil Ardley when they did. Um, but it did pay off. They did get that, that playoff spot. They were on the verge of not getting it. But obviously, the Sutton win was their turning point. And um, yeah, I think I think they're really well set for the summer, actually. Um, I think it's going to be some exciting signings with the quality players they have. So yeah, look forward to seeing how they're going to fare next season. But yeah, for me, success in Notts County um, would be... I've, actually, I'd really say going up. I, I think next season is going to have to be the season, really. Birchnell's really going to have to prove that he is that elite national last league manager for for, for not. So um, I, I'm confident he will be. Yeah, I can't disagree one bit. They've got a lot to improve on, but particularly for when it's the tougher part of the season. Yes, this season we kind of have to give forgive them a little bit. They did have COVID cases aplenty. And on two occasions, had to stop playing football to foresee that and make sure that all were capable of finishing the season, more importantly. So, yeah, it's a shame uh, that, you know, it didn't lead on to something more for them this time around. But it's a learning curve. It is something that a lot of these players who have joined the team this season will use to their advantage for next season. They can, as you say, bring in anyone they want. And I think you, I would not be surprised if I was um, Ian Birchnell or uh, or any of the Danish owners if Sutton, Sutton win was a big catalyst for not just finishing this season, but the future, but the, how, and how they finish this, the playoffs as well. But if they start next season very well, get a string of wins together, who knows what next for them? Uh, like really, who knows what next for them? I think they've got bags of potential. I think they've got so much exciting football to play uh, and even fans should be excited for them. Yes, they'll be disappointed they didn't make it to Bristol. That's something you can you can give, you know, uh, be a disappointment about. They didn't make it to the final. But they can look at this summer and say, we've now missed out on the playoff final tw- on playoffs two seasons in a row. We've got to make it happen this time on the ownership front. I don't think the fans will get angry at the owners. They're doing their best they can. They've worked hard on building the team, getting the right people in to get this side back to where they feel they belong. The sooner they get back up there, the better. And who knows, really? Who knows? We just hope that it happens for them sooner rather than later. Now, playoff final number two. This time, it's it's third versus fourth in this one. Harley I were ultimately, with a bit of fortune, did just enough to finish third in the playoffs. But Stockport County were hunting them down for that elimination semi-final spot towards the end of the season. Managed to overhaul them and guaranteed their place in the semi-finals. 
Hartlepool being peeved, obviously absolutely roller-coasted Bromley, despite at the end squeezing a 3-2 win. They were 3-0 up in the first half and deserved it. So this week, Tom, Edgley Park, first time with fans back at the ground in a long time for them. So they've probably been really excited to see their team play. But the first time Summer Ross and have played in front of the crowd at home, more importantly, because the last game before that was Torquay. That was the day before the restrictions were eased for fans to be in the ground. Events uh, yeah. there? Uh, um, yeah, it was, first of all, the atmosphere um, was brilliant uh, in the ground and they really got behind the team, um, but it wasn't meant to be for Stockport in the end. Uh, in my opinion, it was a fantastic away for Anson Hartlepool. You talk about keeping your cool in pressure situations, Hartlepool did just that, in my opinion. They th- That's a weather of storm at the start, but um, as the first half went on, I noticed Hartlepool started to gain a really good control on the game, and Reese Oates um, had some shots. One of them went uh, worldwide, but the other one wasn't too far off target, and there were some, some good attempts and some to build on, really, going in the second half, and Hartlepool did just that, and Reese Oates just uh, did just that because it was uh, 14 minutes to go. Um, hit a low shot just outside the box. Could Hinchcliffe have saved it? Maybe tipped it onto the post, went in, but it's classic Reese Oates. He's been unbelievable for them. Ran the game uh, in that first half against Bromley uh, the other week, but I just think like I was speaking about the Wales the Wales performance really up against it against Turkey um, and it felt a bit like that for Hartlepool I'm not sure many people actually fancied Hartlepool maybe in some Hartlepool fans or Stockport maybe too strong but the belief Hartlepool had um, was tremendous and their game plan was perfection just soak the pressure up and then have a good spell of dominating the game just to put Stockport on the back foot a bit and, and rock them and then all to, you know it came in nil at half time all to play for in the second half and and they did that so well. And they, they handled the pressure brilliantly, Hartlepool. And it was a, a well-taken shot outside the box and from Reese Oates. Um, but yeah, obviously, Stockport be disappointed. They started off the better. Um, Paddy Madden's shot um, in the early, stage, early stages, which went wide, that should have been better. But um, I've got to say, Brad James had a mare at Sutton at the back end of the season, letting him rob Milton's free kick. But he more than made up for, him, for it where... Um, you know, he saved from a, a John Rooney snapshot and then obviously in the final minute denied that Richie Bennett header. So, um, you know, James was busy, but, um, you know, Hartlepool, I just think it was such a good team performance. It was a proper 1-0 away victory and they were resilient and had a good shape about them whilst playing some good stuff at the same time. There's a really nice balance about that, that they're playing. You know, Oates is the star man. They, they build the team around him. And I think one thing I like as well, Armstrong, such a good hard worker up front. And, um, you know, Nicky Featherstone midfield as well. And I, I just think it's what Liddell, Marshall and everyone at the back. And and credit to James, obviously, I mentioned the save he made. It was just an outstanding uh, team performance. And Dave Chandler should be so proud. And that's going to be something to, something to really take into next week because... I think Torquay, again, Hartlepool will come, I think we'll come into a situation where Torquay are going to be the favourites, but Hartlepool won't mind that at all. They'll just, it'll be an extra motivation for them, and obviously they'll be playing in front of their fans as well. Ashton Gate, uh, we'll get on to more about uh, the, the in, ins and outs about, uh, you know, crowds being there in that game shortly. But um, yeah, anyway, it'd just be great to have their fans back. And I, I, I you know, quietly fancy Hartlepool to, to make some noise. Uh, 
you know, in that game uh, on Sunday, I, I think it's going to be a really tight one. It's going to be no walkover for Torquay. And yeah, outsta- outstanding win for Hartlepool. And, but as for, as for Stockport, um, I, I, similar to Notts County, I expect them to rebuild. Very talented squad. Um, and it's, it's a tough one. It, it's a real hard one for, you know, Simon Rosk and his, his team to take. Um, you know, they'll think the chances they had. I remember Simon Rosk with 10 minutes ago was shouting to his players, we just need that one more chance. And they had it through Bennett and, you know, James denied him. They, you know, they, there was a real sinking feeling around the place when that chance wasn't converted, to be honest. And uh, the credit, as I say, credit to the fans, they made so much noise, but it just wasn't meant to be for Stockport. And, They'll have to wait uh, another year, um, but I expect them not County to be really up there next season with the talent they both have, the backing they both have. Two really good managers, in my opinion. Um, Simon Rusk, for me, has come in and added a lot to, to Stockport season. Um, although, you know, credit to Jim Gannon. He, he, he set a really nice team up for Simon Rusk to come in and take over, but still credit to Simon Rusk. And he, he has done really well in Stockport Certainly had a really good end of the season. Just couldn't take it in into the playoffs, unfortunately for them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I fancy them to keep that that squad together. Um, and for me, them and Notts County, I would fully expect them to be top three next season. Honestly, I, I know obviously the thoughts of next season haven't even properly started yet, and who they're exactly going to sign. But I, I just got a gut feeling that they've got the strength and character and the structure of the club and the managers to, to come back stronger. But congratulations to Talkie and Artie Paul. I can't wait for that final at Ashton Gate uh, on Sunday afternoon. Terrific final in prospects. And I like, think congratulations to the Dave Chandler and his side. Uh, yeah, and touching on you know the fact that at Sutton they crumbled incredibly when they lost 3-0 that day. Obviously, permitting that at Sutton were on that day, possessed and just wanted to get over the line in terms of securing the championship and how they, and they did it in great fashion that day. Hartlepool on that afternoon, they were kind of feeling that they were robbed, but ultimately didn't necessarily turn up the way they we've expected them to turn up throughout the season. And we were saying all season, that game against Sutton will be key for Hartlepool, as it is for Sutton, because of how it could possibly be the decider in the title hunt. And it's ultimately proved to be. In the end, however, like in the grand scheme of things, you do have to congratulate them because they've recovered very well towards the end of the season. They put a fantastic victory against Bromley and to put a dogged away performance in against uh, against a side in Stockport who have been very good at home this season. There has been a few occasions where they've been worried that only a couple of sides have really gone there and beaten them. But I think after I mean a year ago, when they lost 4-0 at home to Dorking Wanderers in the FA Trophy. I thought that was the lowest point Stockport could possibly go. And the very next game was ironically against Sasson. It ended nil-nil. And the new ownership had come in and uh, at Registry Park. So a lot of, you know, there was a lot of excitement uh, post that was being, you know, dished around over there. I, do, I did feel then, let's see what is the next big step for Stockport. And this season, getting in the playoffs was one big step. Now it's just to, now it's to enhance their opportunity this summer, like we've said with Notts County, I think, and invest, bring some talent in, retain the likes of 
uh, John Rooney, Liam Hogan and others. Uh, James Hinchcliffe, who got the Golden Glove this season, joint Golden Glove, I believe. So there is a lot of talent there. And with Manchester Lancashire area being such a hotbed for talent in the football in football terms, I can't rule out any possibilities for players to go out on loan from a United, a City, or even from around teams in the football league who would like to see their players just get some game time at a club in and around the area. And I can't, I don't see a reason why Stockport or New County wouldn't want to reject that. But they're also very affluent now. And it's a very, very good potential to drill, draw some talent in because Stockport, big, it's, it's a big name at this level. It's a big name at this level. It's a team that have great respect, have had numerous promotions in the Football League, have, have recovered very well in the last couple of years. And yeah, they've had a, you know, a sharp learning curve the first season back in the, in the National League. But they have lots of, uh, they have lots of uh, time on their side now. And not everything goes well your first season. It's why you learn. It's why you adapt to the situation you're in now. You look at your managing staff. Sarah Ross coming in when things were not going so well. Jim Gannon were raised a lot of questions. I think for fans, and I was one of those. In fact, neutrals who thought, "Is this a good idea?" Because he's someone who knows the club. He knows what it is. What it takes to play for Stockport. He's a man who's taken them up from the national leagues north into the into the top division. You were, you'd were be concerned if you're a fan. We're bringing in an unknown, uh, an unknown name in the management world. What are we going to expect? Well, he's brought some dynamic, fluid football back to Stockport. He's made them a worrying attacking threat. He's scoring a lot of goals with this team. And he has managed to even recruit Paddy Madden. Not many, I'm sure, will have been able to first thought bring him in, but for him to come from Fleetwood in the league in League One all the way down to the National League with Stockport, in my opinion, I feel like it was a step up. He didn't hit the ground running initially, but give him a run of games next season. I think he's one of the marksmen in the football league for the National League that will be a threat for defences all over in the division. So we should ignore Stockport next season. I would not want to ignore them at your peril. So big congratulations to Hartlepool, Tom. We now look to Sunday. Hartlepool have to make fans of Hartlepool, in fact, including the team, 275-mile trip from northwest England. It's literally the coast of northwest England, Hartlepool. Northeast England, my apologies down to Bristol, which is a four and a half hour car journey. I don't want to tell you how long it takes on the train. It does mean you also have to stop in London. But uh, if I'm talking a relatively short journey, eight and a half thousand or so fans will be there. We'll touch on the game itself in a minute, but the crowd matter is of concern because news obviously this week that the extension to our, where people are calling the freedom of the United Kingdom from the coronavirus pandemic has been delayed from the 21st of June to July the 19th. Uh, has been, you know, welcomed with some frustration and some, in some cases, disappointment. But Wembley's expected to have uh, increased capacity for the remaining Euro matches from this coming Monday. So this coming, so I think 
I think it's Tuesday. We're going to have 40 or so thousand inside. I uh, could be wrong. Um, we'll then have Wimbledon maskless and at full capacity for the finals of both men's and women's events. So those will be a part of the government's test to see how transmission works in confined spaces. So everyone's sitting next to each other and everything as we've been used to. Um, and a variety of other events as well be, have been uh, considered or possibly could be selected. Me and Tom, though, collectively are very disappointed. Eight and a half thousand are allowed into, if I'm not mistaken, a near 30,000 30, seater arena in Bristol. Yeah, around about that, I would say Ashton Gate is. That's yeah. crazy. That's yeah. I, I'm I'm with you, Ahmed. As you said, I I'm extremely uh, disappointed. As you give those examples there as well, um, Wimbledon, Wembley, uh, Wembley for the European Championships. All these lavish big competitions get extended. But I spoke about this before in the FA Trophy Neve Vars finals. Um, in the first set, that um, the ones that meant to be played in, t- uh, in 2020, um, how there was no fans allowed them, and I was extremely disappointed because obviously the test matches were allowed at the the FA Cup semi-finals. Um, obviously, in the end, they did do that for the uh, FA Trophy and FA Vars. So, um, so I thought, okay, that's good. Maybe they're taking more consideration now to uh, treat in the non-league, big non-league events better. But then they just let themselves down again. That's so underwhelming. Yeah. Eight and a, eight and a half thousand. Uh, uh, for me, yeah, for a, sta- a stadium that is uh, twenty-seven thousand to be exact for Ashton Gate, um, that's not good enough. That that should that should be up by cer- certainly uh, a little bit more. Maybe what maybe up to, to to fifteen, even pushing slightly higher. I, I I'm I'm extremely disappointed, and I've seen a lot of fans of both clubs are frustrated about that as well, and. Yeah, again, it just feels a, a bit like uh, the non-league finals. They haven't got that many fans, have they? Just yeah, just stuff it for eight and eight and a half thousand. Yeah, and I thought the whole point as well of maybe taking a sort of looking at okay, isn't it Wembley? Let's try and create something different. Let's maybe not choose a a big Midlands Premier Stadium like Villa Park. Let's go for something like Ashton Gates. Maybe it's a bit more compact, and if you fit more fans in. Um, then yeah, the bit you know the more compact feel make it feel like it's 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 you know there's, there's a lot of more fans than there is there to be honest um, and create that real tight feel around the ground. But no, they, they haven't done that yet for me. That, that there should be more, and I'm I'm bitterly disappointed. I feel for the fans that can't go because these are bigger clubs, and maybe they think you know that talking Hartley people have very very good fan bases who would certainly take a fair amount of fans. Um, so yeah, bitly bitly disappointed about that. But that isn't the only thing I'm disappointed about with with, with the final uh, as well. Um, with the ticket prices, I'm I'm not too pleased. What fans have to pay for that as well? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's forty quid, even slight forty two quid for yes. um, That's ridiculous. Again, again, I would even, I was I would even be thinking would. 30, even just over 30 quid be, be pushing it for fans. I'm usually a fan of 20 to 25 for, for these games, but they've got it so wrong with, 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 the, attend- with the attendance, um, the capacity that's allowed and the ticket prices. It's really disappointing for yeah. what's the best event in the, uh, in the whole the non-league. And I love the FA Trophy and FA Vars finals, but this is the one I always 
love the playoff final and yeah um obviously it's going to be great games run about but the sort of off the pitch getting the fans sort you know the well-being of the fans i'm not too pleased about so yeah very disappointed I am agreed with uh, in agreement. Uh, when we, I think Greg Clark, who as I said, has been hiding since Monday, and in fact beyond that, uh, leaked the information to us, having been offered four tickets to the final, and he opted. He's I don't know if he's opting to go or not, but we collectively on the ninety-two, while we you know do a podcast and have other jobs alongside it, we first of all, Tom lives in uh, quite far to the east of England. And I live in the city. So we have we have challenges of our own getting from one point to another. Now, but still, in my honest opinion, if you're gonna pay during a regular season ten or so pounds, ten to fifteen pounds for a single match ticket in the regular season, why would you want to pay forty-two in the playoff final? At a stadium which is considerably further away from Hartlepool than it is to Torquay, because as I mentioned, for Torquay on Sunday it's going to be an easier trip, best part of an hour, hour, hour and a half, two hour drive from the from Torquay and the Bay uh, or the English Riviera up to up to Bristol. I don't think it's too, that's a, a fair deal, especially as I mentioned, it's a two hundred seventy five mile drive. From the northeast down to the southwest, you've got quite a distance to cover if you're a Hartlepool fan. Four and a half hour drive. If you're on the train, you're in, you're going five hours across England, and there's no direct routes to Bristol. You have to like stop in the Midlands and then go down to like somewhere near Southampton before switching to Bristol or something like that. It's some crazy routes, but I don't imagine the amount of money people will pay for that. But um. It's, it's very disappointing, and I think we are, we are fans. We love the non-league game. I have not felt this saddened about uh, the uh, pricing of tickets. I get that <clears throat> the National League will want to recoup money and all that, but we're well, coming on to that in a bit, money-wise. This is not good for them. It's not a good look. They've already had a bad season on an administrative front. They've had to hire out a place that wouldn't often uh, hold such an event like this. And again, Tom raised the question, what is wrong with going into the Midlands? If the National League base is in Birmingham, why is it not then we're pl- not playing this game at Villa Park, St Andrews, Wolf, or, at, or at Molyneux or the Hawthorns? Any of those grounds is capable of hosting a major game. And I think Villa Park, while we had an ambitious attempt at getting the Champions League final being played there earlier in the year, it would have been equally as capable to hold a playoff final of that magnitude and hold 10,000 fans as well. In my true and honest opinion, it could have done that and it would have been, had it possibly taken place, that would have been an absolute mad afternoon. It would it deserved that sort of treatment, the National League playoff final. Honestly, it needs that treatment. But it's sad to see that it isn't. And we're gonna have to live with that uh, for the in the short term for sure. But on the pitch, Sunday will be exciting, Tom. Uh, very quickly, 
what I'm looking forward to it. I think this game has the makings of what could be a truly magnificent playoff final. It's two sides that have been EFL long long stays for many years. For Torquay, I think for many of them, EFL, they like a trip to the Riviera when it's not cold, but when it's baking or relatively warm, you're going to definitely enjoy it. But even still, Hartlepool haven't been out of the EFL for very long, and they've more or less stabilised themselves in the National League. Now that they're at this point, this is the more or less their first chance at getting back to where they feel they belong. For me, it's, a, it's not a foregone conclusion. It'll be a close game. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to tip my hat one way or another, but if I were, I'd say just based on pedigree and how they've managed to squeeze through many scenarios this season, late goals and everything, Torquay, for me, may just edge it. That's my words, though. Yeah, I would, I'd second that. I, I'm... My prediction, I'm feeling a, a two-one talkie um, in extra time as well. Um, I think, yeah, it's going to be more extra time nerves for the talkie fans, and it won't be a comfortable end as well. I think obviously they have the two-goal Christian on Notts County, so I think they could breathe a bit easier in those last five minutes on Saturday. But I, I could honestly see a late talkie win in the second half of extra time. I could really see one of those uh, games coming up. I look forward to midfield battle. Obviously, Hartley um, will play that back three, and they've got Shelton, Hollahan, and. Featherstone, the skipper in midfield. And, you know, I think Asa Hall's going to have a job on his hands. Hartlepool looked uh, tidy in that midfield too fair. And Randell has been a good player this season as well. He's certainly um, one who I think is going to be very good um, in that midfield battle. But obviously Wright uh, coming up with lots of confidence. So, um, yeah, again, Little, who's for me one of the top centre-backs in the league, he's going to have to really marshal that defence along with uh, Johnson and uh, Odyssina, so against Wright. So, yeah, should be from some fascinating battles. Sterling Ferguson's the win backs, so that's going to be big. But I, fa- I, I do fancy Torquay to nick this with the talent of Lemonade Evans as well. Yeah, uh, and right up front, I think it's going to be just Torquay's day. Mm. It'll be a great game. BT Sport, 12 pm before the Euros again. As much as you know, we wish it was clashing with the Euros, we know where everyone's attention would be. So, as a standalone event, whether you're going to get up early or not to watch it, we urge you to give it a watch. It's the last domestic football of the 2021 season. Uh, after this, there's nothing else because they, we've had an extended season due to the pandemic, obviously. And with all this madness going on, the playoffs really have built a breath of fresh air to the National League on the pitch. Off the pitch, not so much. But again, it will be a great final. And we we are very excited to be look to be watching it on BT this Sunday. So, yeah, tune in, everyone. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, Messers, the two Adams are going to be there. Matt Smith and the whole plethora of guests from the EFL will also be there. And we'll see who will become uh, the 24th team in League Two alongside Sutton United in next season's Football League. Uh, truly an exciting game in prospect. So, tune in. We urge you to. Now, time for the news. Uh, we've sort of pushed it back this week because with the Euro starting and the playoff drama being incredibly, incredibly mesmerising, we couldn't ignore it. We're going to go now into the deeper-rooted matter of what I just said, which is good stuff happening on the pitch in the National League, and then there's bad stuff happening off it as well. First piece of news this week, obviously, is the 
outcomes of the appeals from clubs in National League North and South and the one National League club, which is Dover Athletic, who were exposed, expunged and uh, fined for each game that they missed during the pandemic when the lockdown, uh, lockdown measures were at their strictest. And also because of a lack of guarantee and funding from the National League, they started the season not knowing if they were getting the money or not, more or less under a false sense of security. Who knows? If, As I mentioned there and then, the points that the teeth picked up from Dover would be important at the end of the season. It's so much, so much as it proved that was to be the case. So, ultimately, National League threw them out, the majority of them. However, three of them have had their, uh, the amount of fines reduced by per game. So for some of the clubs, it's gone from four to 2,000 to 1,300 to 1,500 per game. But the other 11 clubs that were involved in the, in the madness, including Dover, have had their, their points and their fines uh, retained. It would not, hasn't been adjusted. It's very disappointing again from the National League on that front. And really, I, I struggle at times to even comprehend the, the thinking behind these ridiculous decisions up at ball, at the level that they're at. Obviously, it's been a horrible season for the National League, and it hasn't looked, it hasn't gotten any better. So, very quickly, I'll, I'll tell you about the teams who had their appeals lost. The teams that lost their appeals were Ulfrus in town, National League North, National League South, Bar City. Bradford Park Avenue, National League North, Chippenham Town, National League South, Curzon National, National League North, Darlington National League North, Dirt Athletic of the National League, Darlington Hamlet National League South, Kettering National League North, Slough National League South, and National League North South for FC as well. All of these appeals are dismissed by the Independent Appeal Board, and the recent reasons for its respective decisions are, have already been assessed. Um, they have been ordered to pay costs of 1.6 to point. Uh, 1.2 to 1.6 max uh, for each game they missed. But they also pay £250 to launch that appeal and that will not be returned, which again is a ludicrous, another ludicrous thing. Blast Spartans, Farsley Celtic and Spending Montana, all National, National League North clubs, have had their fa- uh, fine 50% uh, of their fine now suspended so they only have to play half the amount of money that they owe to the National League for missing games uh, and COVID regulation matters so they don't have to worry about it the other half is I don't know, June when the National League feel like they have to get it back in the case of the 11 clubs who lost their appeal the original punishments remain and they, we stressed it at the start of the, or the time the news was announced that Dover's 12 point deduction remains for next season and their £40,000 fine. So, uh, oh, here we go. Here is an extract on the Appeals Board's report on Dover Athletic. I'm just having a very quick look. And it's, yeah, it, it's not, it doesn't read much, much uh, into what we already discussed earlier in the season. And, you know, more or less repeating the fact they couldn't pay their players, they couldn't sustain themselves uh, throughout the season. And the appeal board thought it was still not sufficient enough for them to be able to be cleared of any of their fines or penalties. So, I mean, Tom, we angrily spoke about this uh, when the when the announcement was made, and we are here again tonight with yet again 
I would to say similar emotions in that essence to what we felt at the time when they announced these fines for the clubs and for Dover Athletic. We knew that their results would be expunged at a minimum and that we understood. But the amount of money they have to pay, especially when Jim Parment has promised never to draw that club into debt, so much so that a popular YouTube channel, HITC7s, did a show, uh, a video based on them being the only team to have no points this season because of the results being expunged. He's keeping very, very strong to his promises, Jim Parment. The thing is, he can't pay this fine himself as he's already admitted he's struggling on his own to be able to balance his own businesses, in fact. So your thoughts on the, on the decision to not remove the fines and why, how scandalous the National League have been this week? It's, they just don't help themselves, do they? You, you try and think, OK, can I find anything positive about this National League board? But it, it just somehow gets worse. I mean, even little things you said there, Ahmed, the £250 appeal fee not, not being returned. It's just it's just the spitting on the face of these clubs. And in my opinion, as, as I said before, it's a it's an absolute disgrace. It's, for, for me, the, the fact that, you know, clubs are getting fined for games that don't even mean anything. And, you know, as we mentioned at the time, every rule that was being made, like the, the clubs had nowhere to go. It's like, Nationally, want to just trap them to play these games, but the clubs, the clubs couldn't do anything. And yeah, now that this is a position they're in, they're having to pay fines um, because the National League won't realise, uh, you know, that their own mistakes. They're they're just they're too they're too just stuck within themselves. And I, I won't just have a look maybe internally uh, and how poorly they've been this season. Just what a disaster they've been on on Dover as well. I mean. It's, some people think Dover are a bit lucky staying in the league. Uh, there's been a, a bit of opposition to, to Dover. But I, again, I remember saying at the time, I don't know what Jim Parmenter was meant to do when there was no help really uh, from the National League. I mean, obviously, the National League would just say, well, at least you're uh, staying in the National League next season. But still, though, that's, as you, as you said, Ahmed, a, a 40k fine uh, for, for a club that couldn't even afford to, to pay their own players because obviously they they felt they were forced to play gains uh, against their will due to a lack of funding. It all just comes back again to the lack of funding for National League, the lack of organisation, the lack of communication, clubs being left in the dark. It's it's been disaster, but to I, to not for for these clubs that couldn't play games, it's just r- ridiculous. Okay, they could say, oh well, but you know, fifty um, percent of Blythe's fine, Farsley's fine, Spaniel's fine, being suspended. It's uh, it, even for Blythe, Farsley, and Spaniel, it's still <laughs> stuff to play fifty percent. They're fine for for games that they yeah they they, they couldn't they physically couldn't play physically couldn't play because of uh, again the National League's lack of organisation for these clubs and and just thinking that oh, they can get on get on with them, when, um, themselves, which they obviously couldn't. So just handled awfully and yeah Dover are going to be in an awful position coming into to next season I, I really fear for them with a points deduction of 40k fine yeah for 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 you know an owner that promised them as you said not for them not to go in debt that's I really worry for them that's a that's a real knife into to, to Dover despite people may say oh at least they keep their states in National League though 
that they're going to be really up against the next season. Uh, you know, the National League, you can see why, you know, those group of clubs were, were desperate to to get that, that ball changed. Uh, and obviously, as we know, it was, it was unsuccessful and people thought that was very unfair as well, the way that was handled, uh, you know, um, a week or so ago. So, yeah, disaster for National League, Ahmed. Um, and obviously, with details of the November meeting, um, you know, not in being uh, properly uh, released yet, although the DCMS apologised for the delay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're in June now. And it still feels like the you know these issues are still feeling a bit raw and still, still haven't gone away yet. So um, yeah, I really do worry uh, for the fe- for the short term future of National League. That's for sure. I can't disagree with that. And it's it's poor. We've like we like I've said this season. It's probably one they'll want to forget at that level, and. The clubs involved in it, there's so many prestigious clubs in there, whether the majority of which will still be there next season. There is a lot of concern about what the next few months will be, uh, will involve in terms of the National League. We know we're starting in August, as we always do. We know for sure that there will be 23 clubs next season, not 24, as there accustomedly is in the National League. We know for sure that Dover Athletic will be playing next season, but whether they have the finances to do so and survive even the first month of the season is, you know, a, a matter of interest uh, on its own, and that's a that, that is a worry. You could you have a, there's a lot of questions yet to be answered yet, even before the season has started. But in that level, on their side of the matter, when you look at the the treatment of these clubs this season and the amount of uh, you know, disillusionment that this has provided for owners in the league and for even managers. The managers have had it hard this season as the players have. All the players have had to physically, you know, exhaust themselves on, on bases where they've played games every three days in, in most points this season. While the season has practically, not to say flown by, but it has sort of laboured a bit towards the end, you do notice quite evidently what you know what the the feeling is around the league and truly i feel truly disappointed that we sit here today and we're still in june where we normally would be off we didn't wouldn't have much to cover unless we were doing not the 92 extras but with the euros on we were obliged to cover this and the national league conclusion I'd still, we wouldn't be doing much in this summer period other than doing quick updates on our Twitter. But we're doing these. And we're doing this because the National League are still at it. They're still doing these little quips, these little news tidbits that tease us into thinking, well, what can we do? We need to really hammer the points home for fans. Because we care. We think you guys deserve every right to know about what's going on and the unfair justice that clubs are going through. And speaking of unfair justices, this one is the worst one. This is outside the National League, but even still, it's incredible how this has even come to come to fruition here. This week, Whiteleaf FC and Abdingdon, Abdingdon oh, nearly got that wrong. Abdingdon Town have both been kicked out of their respective home grounds because the owners of the grounds, Irama, are incapable of paying to keep the grounds running. 
And on top of which, they've not only been kicked out of their grounds, they've both departed their respective leagues. So they were both in, I believe, at Ismian level. So that, there is so many, you know, thoughts running from my to how this is possible and how clubs have got, who've already got, you know, little to no money whatsoever already. When a, a club of their level who are ambitious and want to be at the National League, that's their version of the Premier League. Really. That's their dream. They want to get to that point. For them to get there, they've obviously get, got to get out of the Isthmian and then reach the Southern Premier, Northern Premier, before meeting uh, Northern Premier League, Southern Premier League level, the county divisions, before getting into the National League. All of this, though, has definitely not helped. And I do feel like, Tom, that these clubs in particular are the ones that have been hard done by here. They're being kicked out of the home grounds. The fans, fans of those clubs now know, don't know what next in terms of following their team for the future in, the, in terms of where next season they're going to be playing their home games. Their finances are skewered in some way. They are not the richest clubs in the world, in the league, of course. But a, it is of grave concern that this has happened. And we, I don't like this one, Iota. And I'm sure on your part, hearing that, it isn't any better for, in your, in your case either. Yeah, I was really upset to see about this. And talk about the bad publicity for the National League. Not a great week for Ian Rush. Obviously, with links to this company, Irama, who have obviously yeah, taken... Uh, clubs uh, out there on league grounds and f- fans are rightly furious. Um, you know, asset strippers. Um, you know, it's 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 horrible to see this. Um, this is their homes, and it's just horrible the way that these, you know, these non-league clubs, um, you know, uh, Ab- uh, Abingdon and and Whiteley, have just been pushed aside. Like, the, get out your home. Um, we want to do what we want to do with that ground, and they don't. They don't think they don't think about the the non-league clubs and where they're going to go next and you know all those poor all those poor people involved involved with the club and the supporters they must be worried sick right now and it's 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 horrible uh, it's absolutely horrible to see this and yeah it makes me really angry the, again uh, another way that the football's going and just non-league clubs just tread like rubbish and is told, yeah, to, to leave their homes. And these clubs are going to be worried sick now. Where, where are they going to play for the upcoming season? Um, so, yeah, um, re- yeah, really, really angry, uh, really upset about this. And, um, yeah, uh, the fans of the, the clubs are, are, are really worried. And um, and I, I just feel like, you know, these clubs are being scammed uh, and... Yeah, uh, it just it's just one that uh, again it's the horrible direction modern football's going. And I've said it loads, but um, yeah, it's I, I'm not I'm not sure what's going to be next now for for these two clubs. I hope there can be uh, a resolution. I hope this issue is under the remit. Obviously, the review carried out by Tracy Crouch. Um, so well, we'll have to see uh, what's next for. Uh, Abingdon and, and Whiteley for that's you know decades of history and tradition lost. Uh, yes. for what? Yeah, terrible. Terrible, terrible. We, we all the fans of those. I'm sure of those clubs will want some in an action being put on that company and 
obviously whatever you guys can do to get your grounds back, I hope you can sort that out sooner rather than later. I mean, well, I wish we could do something like physically, but we're behind you in support. We're happy to give you vocal support here on this podcast. And yeah, a disgrace from Iran, mate, honestly, to allow for this to be happening and for them to kick football clubs out, these clubs out of their grounds, a place that they've been able to call home for so long is being ripped away from them and unfairly in that judgment. So I hope a resolution for that comes soon because they cannot be left out in the wilderness forever. In the short term, though, this is horrible for, for them. Uh, while we've, you know, we've not been too clued up on the matter, we've only given our opinion, and I think the best thing we can do is give you what we think about the matter, disgraceful as it is. There is a great thread on Twitter by Against League 3, which really goes into deeper details on the matter that has just taken place this week. So I urge you, if you aren't too familiar with what's going on with the Whiteleaf and Abingdon Town situation, and why Iran are being disgraced like this, and how Tom has brought up Ian Rush, and why he's important in this in these scenarios, you Go have a look at that thread and it'll bring you up to date on what it's all about and how this hopefully can be resolved. We're hoping that this, on our, on our, our side here, we hope that gets resolved much sooner than already than already is going on because it's not a good look on, uh, on Irama, but it's a shocking thing to happen for anyone to be kicked out their own home, whether you're in family or anything like that. It's never nice to leave to be kicked out of your own house. So you'd rather be, get your, your spot back quickly. And I hope that's the case. Now, a few managerial adjustments have been made this week. We, I told you last week about a couple in the other podcast. Well, this week, what's a surprise? We have at Barnet and at Solihull Moors. We'll start at Barnet, shall we? Obviously, at the end of the season, we, uh, we, we thought that Simon Bassey and Dave Anderson were of having managed to get Barney out of a poor run of form, despite there being no relegation in the National League. It was an opportunity for the teams to you know, strengthen their knowledge of the division and be able to improve on things they couldn't, they couldn't have done if they were under pressure of relegation. They thank for them, thank their thankful case. They can take satisfaction from the fact that they don't have to worry about it this season. It's last season, sorry. But they will have to worry about relegation next season. But Barnett, great finish this season. However, Simon Bassett and opting not to continue following uh, signing on at Barnett after a short period at the club where Bassett stabilised the club and in their final few games, they won first of all five of the last five out of the last nine games in the regular season were wins, and they did very well to play play well in every single one of those. This it is disappointing though that they've moved on. However, the ownership opponent haven't sat down and let the thing worry them. They've gone and brought in two two new appointments. One is a new job in terms of. A role at the club in Dean Brennan, the ex-Wilston manager, who up to a point in the season had been uh, had been leading Wilston in a great position in the season. They played very well, and even at some stage in the playoffs, a three-three draw Sutton and a few great comeback victories. Wrexham be a fabulous example of that. Were some stellar performances, so can't be ignored how well they played in the early half part of the season. 
Dean Brennan, however, moved on after being poached and by another club, and the white and it didn't really please a lot of people at Wilston. It led to, in the end, the him moving on from Wilston, and it may be that this job that he's doing now is the one he opted to pick instead of doing the management job at Wilston. So he's the new director of football at Barnet. So he'll be overseeing all things related to the first team and also to any scenarios such as playing, incomings, outgoing contracts and such and such. The new manager, however, is a very familiar name. He goes by the name of Harry Kewell, the ex-Liverpool lead on Aust- uh, and Australia left winger who spent a numerous number of years at the top level of English football. He's formerly managed Oldham and has been at a couple of other clubs in league as well. But this is his first job at non-league level. And a huge, in my opinion, this is a huge coup for Barnet. Uh, Hugh has not had a lot of time in, in management. He's still relatively young, having retired in the early, in the early 10s, I think in 2012 or 13, he retired from football. So... Tom, in your opinion, very quickly, what is your what are your feelings about this new appointment that Barney have made? A silence is that Simon Bassey and Dave Anderson have moved on, having done such a stellar job to say stabilize the situation at the hive. For them, to, they've got they've moved them on and gone with um, two relatively young uh, players, managers. Sorry. Yeah, well, um, I tell you what, Harry Kuehl was a hell of a player uh, in his day. But as as a manager, um, it's ex- it's exciting, obviously, for a name like Harry Kuehl to to come into non-league. His record in well, he did a decent job at Crawley, and that got him a big job at Notts County, and that was sort of the start of the Notts County decline. Kevin Nolan couldn't take them up, and then obviously. Harry Kuehl took on a big job there after Kevin Ireland didn't have a good start to the 2018-19 season. And obviously that was a horrific season for obviously Notts County uh, to have. And uh, yeah, it, you know, he'll certainly be remembered for, for being a part of that very poor season. And then he got the job at uh, Oldham Athletic. And, and again, it was a, a, a similar story. He hasn't really relived his, you know, his really good stint in his first managerial job at Crawley. So, Harry Kuehl, he's certainly a young, hungry manager who's got a point to prove. Um, his track record is obviously isn't great in recent years, but for a name like this to come non-league, I, I have got excitement, and especially with uh, Dean Brennan. Dean Brennan actually was offered the job um, earlier on the season and turned it down when he was at uh, Willstone, but he's now, obviously, as mentioned, I'm back in, in that um, technical director um, role with... Uh, with Harry Kuehl, so that, that head of football role. And I'm, I'm excited to see the, the way then two are going to link up. Two really good footballing minds. Um, and I, I like that Harry Kuehl's got a, you know, a, a point to prove after, obviously, you know, two jobs that he'll be disappointed the, the way it ended for him at Notts County and Oldham. So, yeah, really look forward to seeing how it's going to happen. And I, I was impressed with Harry Kuehl's interview. He said... Obviously, he knows it's a high-pressure job being a manager, but he loves it. it. You know, it may scare some managers, young managers, off not having good stints at clubs like Notts County and Oldham, but he's he's still not afraid, and he knows it's a big job. He's got big shoes to fill. Simon Bassey, Dave Anson were popular at the back end of the season, but I think it's that you know they can bring the right players in. I, I really like Efron Mason Clark, for example. I think he's a player, young player that, that Harry Cool could develop. Minds me, he's got that real raw raw talent that Harry Kuehl himself had back in the day at Leeds. So I'm, I'm excited. And Dean Brennan, 
is, is a good choice head of football, in my opinion. Did a very good job. Wildstone, obviously, it's an interesting role to see how he's going to be in that head of football role, but he's someone I think has got very good knowledge on the game. Always speaks well, in my opinion. And, yeah, interesting at the way they're going to work. But I, I see no reason why this maybe can't be a success. And if they can build on the good work Simon Bassing and Dave Anderson have done, then maybe Barnett might be dark horses to get a, a, a playoff spot. And um, obviously, they've been under huge pressure this season, Barnett. A lot of unsuccessful managers. So they'll be looking for a, a much better season, certainly with full capacity crowds set to back a, 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 as well. And hopefully, they'll welcome the new manager, Harry Kuehl, with, with open arms. And it could be a successful one for Barnett. And yeah, we could, Harry Kuehl could, this could be a great chance for him to rebuild his career. And I'll tell you what, great facilities at Barnett. I was there on the final day. Um, for the Sutton game, yeah, they've got really great facilities there. Just need to now match that with a, a good team on the pitch. I, I can't, I can't say that they've got great potential. And Tom's worked through a couple of Ephraim Mason Clark in the last few weeks mm, of the season. Yeah. He played, he played so well under Simon Bassey. So who knows the knowledge of how to play out on the wing and also his expertise having played at such a high level. Let's not forget Harry Kiel's played in a Champions League semi-final. So he has quite a bit of experience and he will carry that with him into his management. And yes, he's had a fair few difficult spells and Tom mentioned Notts County. He gets the chance next season to go back to Meadow Lane. So that will be an interesting tie when the two meet in the National League next season. But, yeah, big appointments there. Speaking of Notts County, their former manager, Neil Ardley, <laughs> they let go after a familiar draw with Torquay, with Yeovil, not Torquay, sorry, a familiar draw with Yeovil, which led to him making scandalous comments about the team and the way that things were going, led to him losing his job. Well, he's moved on. He's now become the new Solihull Moors coach after Mark Yates, who was in interim charge during this, for the final few weeks of the season while Kidderminster's season was curtailed. He's now moved, gone back to do his main job at Kidderminster while a huge coup, I think, for uh, not Solihull Moors to bring Neil Ardley in. That, that Tom, it is a huge appointment. And if that doesn't in some way help build on what was a very strong finish from Solihull Moors this past season, who knows what Neil Ali is going to do with them next season? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good appointment. Um, obviously, Neil Ali left Notts County in a solid position in the playoffs. Just maybe went a bit stale in the end. But I think Neil Ali's still a good manager. You see what he's done at, at Wimbledon. And for me, he's, he's that character as well. I think he's... He came to Notts County in tough circumstances that season. Obviously, talk about that 2018-19 season, which Harry Kuehl was involved in. It's quite funny, actually. They're both taking jobs at the, at the same time uh, with Notts County still in the league, and obviously they're involved in the Notts County relegation. So some interesting stories. Uh, you know, at Meadow Lane next season with uh, Harry Kuehl and Neil Larley returning. Um, I don't think it'll bother them too much, though. There's, they're big enough characters to, to handle if they, if they get any stick um, off the Notts County fans. I, I don't think Notts County fans, Notts County fans for me will just be focused on supporting their, their team next season. And But just going on to Neil Lally again, I, I think he, he is a very good manager um, when he's got a fresh challenge in front of him. And okay, it didn't quite work for him and Notts County taking the mark, but he was damn well close in that playoff final. And, you know, you just see what he did at Wimbledon, had some really good years there. So there's a talented manager there. And I think Solly Moores is a great project. Obviously, didn't hasn't worked for him since Tim Flowers has left. But I think this is the perfect manager in my eyes that could really take him forward. And the form team at the end of 
last season and they've got real potential, I think, Solly and Moores to give it another crack at going up. So for me, these two appointments, really exciting appointments. I can't wait for next season already. Bring it on. I think the tart race is going to be another real challenging one. And you look at you know Sutton get out, getting out of the league. I think Matt Gray would be quite relieved he got out of the league when he did. Because um, I won't say Sutton wouldn't say if Sutton didn't go up, they wouldn't be in the challenge next season. But there's one hell of a a tart race uh, lining up. I mean, you can't forget the likes of Wrexham as as well. Um, obviously, they you know the plans they've got. So yeah, the next season with these appointments of Harry Kuehl and Neil Arley just adds. Um, to the competitiveness of the league even more when it was competitive already coming into next season. So I can't wait uh, Can't wait another real progressive uh, appointment. Great job Mark Gates did and Simon Bassing, Dave Anderson. They, they, you know, they really shone as, as interim um, managers. So um, I wish them the best of luck for, for their futures because they did some really good jobs at the back end of, of last season. But New Year is now with Harry Kiel, Neil, Neil Larley and I for one can't wait to see how they do at Barnet and Solihull. Yes, incredible. Incredible turning of events. One former Notts County manager at a different club. Now we have a different Notts County, former Notts County manager at a club in the same league. Now we're in for some interesting teams next season to be playing their part in the craziness that is the National League. So much to play for. The moves and shakes are everywhere. And we're definitely going to cover a lot more of that next week. But... For this week, we are kind of going to fill our last few parts of the show with what we're, we're proud to call them these. We're going to call it our year in review part of the show. So this is basically a, com- a combination of, of what I mentioned last week in my, in my solo podcast, of our season awards. So that's moment of the season, player of the season, manager of the season. Uh, I did say goal of the season. We didn't get as many as I hoped for suggestions. But me and Tom will pick one of the two, um, one out of two that we think is deserving of such a goal of the season, and we'll decide on our on our on our part which one is the best one. And then we'll also pick our team of the season because both of us are scandalously angry at Vanarama, <laughs> who is sponsoring yep. the National League. Uh, deciding the team of the season, incredible omissions have been made uh, on, on, on many fronts. So we're going to adjust that and give you the real, the true, the absolute best National League team of the season. Well, first and foremost, we will do the awards. We will begin, as I have suggested, obviously, with the goal with, with the goal of the season. We're going to decide this. It's not a big award, but it's minor. It's it's major for us because we've seen a lot of National League football this season as much as we can without the help of BT Sport. But we we've done as much of, as look back as we can to see who's goal stood out the most, which one is the one that will deserve the right of passage as the National League's goal, as the National League's goal season for our little podcast. So, Tom, I want to hear your suggestion first. I'm sure you've mulled over it and you've had a lot more time than me uh, to think about it. What for you is your goal of the season? I'm stuck between Resorts versus Mainhead for the solo dribble or Alicia Sam against Oxford for Notts County in the FA Trophy Court Final. That, I mean, that's a lot of pundits are calling that for a plus gas award winner of the year. So oh, I'm really stuck between them two. They're, that's a tight one separate. They're certainly my two non-league standouts for the season. Um, 
Yeah, if I, if I had to choose one, as amazing as that sort of this unbelievable backheel volley from Sam was, I just love the fact that Reese Oates went on that majestic run with the unbelievable dribble. It had everything, it had the dribble and the finish to go with it. Although it was a piece of quick genius from Sam, um, and that's pretty obviously people calling that to be involved in the Puskas Award. I am going to go for Reese Oates against Maynard. That was simply incredible, that dribble. It had it and the finish had everything for me. So, um, obviously, uh, there's been plenty of uh, good goals this season, to be fair, uh, in the National League. But I'm I'm going to go with Reese Oates. Um, I'm sticking with that. Oh, that's a bold call. But, um, all right. Uh, Reese Oates is Tom's choice. I have been conflicted between Louis John's inside effort, inside his own half effort against Maidenhead, right at the end of the season. In fact, Maidenhead have seen two goals from long range this season, which, uh, which I think the, the cheeky tweet from the uh, from Vanarama this week proved after Patrick Schick's stunner for the Czech Republic against Scotland. Um, I'm torn between. That goal, Craig Eastman against Eastley, and Reese Oates. And which one was there? Another there was another good one I saw this season. Reese Oates uh, and the one and the other goal you just suggested. Uh, oh, the um, Alicia Sam's Sam. goal. Yeah, thank you. Okay. You may obviously have hit two Sun players scoring goals, but they were both incredible goals. The one against Eastley from Greg Eastwood was an instinct shot from 49 or so yards, which he managed to... It's not easy, I promise, to put that one into the back of the net on the far end as well. Um, Louis Jones was from inside his own half, so that kind of beats Eastman's one. So may have decided which one is the better one on that occasion. Especially for us, it's a centre half. For goodness sake, it's a defender. Um, <laughs> uh, for the two you suggested, Reese Oates' Maradona Escol and the Elijah Sam backheel. Okay, I've decided oh, it's hard to narrow it down from four. It's a bigger, you know, it's a bigger pool of choice uh, to pick from. But I have opted then for my choice of goal this season to be Reese Oates' goal against Maidenhead. It's very safe to say Maidenhead has received a fair few crazy goals this season. But for him to do that and skid away from two players, three players, four players, and then just get out, like, squeeze in a, a lovely finish like that, only, only he could do that. And he proves to me what an incredible talent he is. So I, I can't just I, I can't ignore it. He gets my call for goal this season. So yeah, Reese Oates. Elijah Sam, if he gets a Pushcast award though, I won't blame him because mm. that was probably the best that was the first real outrageous goal we've seen scored this season. And in the last in the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't get an award for that one any in any case. But who knows? I've, boy, I've got to shout out uh, Liam Gordon uh, for Dagenham Redbridge, left back. He scored a wonder goal against Weymouth um, this season. That was, for me, I'll call that run of the season. That was an incredible run from his own half, dribbled past nearly every Weymouth player. And it was 
sensational finish. Um, so I've got to shout out Liam Gordon uh, as well for Darren Redbridge. And actually, involved Darren Redbridge and runs of the season. Uh, it didn't. It, really, it was involved in a goal, but um, it wasn't like a solo goal himself. David Azure boy for Sutton um, getting a, a penalty in the ninety-third minute against Dagenham as well. So um, although that wasn't actually a solo goal for David Azure boy, I'm thinking of runs of the season, like, like sort of pieces of genius of the season there to that come to to mind as well but yeah I did I was thinking of Adam Lean going to list but I wanted to just two against each two coming head to head and um yeah Oates and Sam were were the two big ones for me but shout out to Lean Gordon that was an incredible goal he scored against Weymouth for Dagenham this season incredible yes and yeah that, that goal was good I can't, I've, I've ever looked to Will Randall oh my god Will Randall has scored two yeah. runs this season, last season, one ironically against Dagenham and Redbridge in the FA Trophy, the third to wrap it up. But it's the second goal against Boreham Woods for me, which I think is my. I could, in fact, sorry, Reese, I've decided to change it. Reese's goal is magnificent; it's quality. But Will Randall picks the ball up. I think where near goal to pick up. Was it a bit further back? But. Where Randall picks it up, this is under pressure as well. He's on the counter-attack on his own. I don't think there is no such players around him. And he's just run the 85 or so yards from the edge of the penalty area of one end to the opposite penalty area of the other against Boron Woods and poked it past Nathan Ashmore to give Sutton the 2-0 lead. That their goal is the best one I've seen this season. I'm, I'm sorry, Riso's massive respect for you. What a great goal it was, but I've changed it. Will Randall's goal against Boring Wood, stunning goal. I have to say, I have to take, choose that one. I have to. I have to. It's too. It's tremendous. Absolutely incredible goal. Yeah, so, that was a piece. That was a piece of genius. To be fair, that's that's a great late shout. Actually, I'd I'd say yeah for the. For scoring from running from his own half and the balance and the the dribbling and the the composure for the finish, actually, yeah, I would say that's that's actually an underrated goal of the season. Well, never mind goal of the season. I think actually it's one that maybe hasn't been talked about enough. So yeah, that's actually a, a great shout uh, for Randall's yeah, goal of the season. I remember my words very well. Terrific finish from the returning Will Randall. If you want a goal, he'll get you one, and he scored one of the finest goals you'll ever see him score. Trust me, it was pretty, pretty good. Absolutely incredible goal. And I say returning because the week before against Woking in the FA Trophy, he got clattered into by two Woking players. Had whiplash. We thought thought it was a lot worse than that, but thankfully it wasn't. And he returned next week and did that. Turns out he came back a man possessed. So absolutely incredible. So... He earned, he's got my vote for goal of the season. So my goal of the season is Will Randall's goal against Boreham Wood for a, a sensational run from his own half into the opposing half and poking it into the back of the net. And it's Reese Hope's goal against Maidenhead for um, yeah. Reece, uh, you picked Elijah Sam or Reese Oates? Tom? Oates, uh, Oates for me. It's very close, but yeah, I'm I'm sticking I'm sticking with Reese Oates for mine. <laughs> Reese's goal against Maynard. So we're going to put another poll up. We're, for you, got, now we've decided what we think our goals and season are. The people is back to you again. Another poll's going up on our Not the Night Twitter, which will ask the same amount of time as our uh, awards votes. You can decide our goal of the season. Reese's against Maidenhead or Will Randall versus Boron Wood. 
We'll also tag the respective goals which have already been distributed on social media on our posts. So you can see each goal and see which one you think is the best one. Because last year, Omar Pagil scored an absolute howitzer for starting against Woking that won a World Cup of goals tournament for the Vanarama National League during the lockdown period. So if that says anything, this should be hopefully equally as good. So get voting and we, ho- and we hope to give you the, we'll give the results of that next week in our next Euro Not the 92. Now, our next award is for player of the season. It was a difficult choice and we narrowed it down to four. Tom did some adjustments. He picked another one. Um, I told you last week what the three I thought deserved it and I... I felt it based on just how good each player has been this season. Reese Oates, Connor Lerman Hay Evans, and Craig Eastman were the three I picked. Tom added Isaac Alafe to the votes. The final result is Tom. Drum roll, please. Uh, actually, I, it was Michael Cheek uh, I put in instead of Isaac Alafe. Tough choice. Uh, but I put Michael Cheek because the goal score. No, no worries, Ahmed. Um, so Craigie's, uh, so we'll start with, uh, bottom was Connor Lay, common, Connor, I can't get my words out, Connor Lemonhay Evans, uh, of Talk United on five, 5%, 11% was Michael Cheek of Bromley, top scorer of the season, top season for him. Uh, no, uh, 16% in the runners up position was Reese Oates of Hartlepool, uh, who's obviously got my goal of the season. And with a romp in uh, 6-8%, uh, the winner is Craig Eastman of Sutton United, who also won Sutton United's player season and has been outstanding. Oh, absolute leader midfield. So congratulations to Craig Eastman. You are the not, United, not 92 non-league player of the season, the National Terrific. League. Terrific. Congratulations to Captain Craig Eastman. We'll find a way to tell him about it one way or another, I'm sure. But um, yeah, great achievement for him and... Yeah, he's been the stalwart and Captain Marvel for Sutton throughout the season. Has been crucial to their promotion run, having played in numerous positions at centre-back, right midfield, centre-midway, he's at home normally. He's been incredible. He brings experience. He brings you goals. He brings you the determined drive that anyone, any captain could. And he's taken the role off for Jamie Collins exquisitely. So, well earned. Congratulations to Craig Eastman on Player of the Season. Uh, this next one is for manager of the season. To be honest, Tom, this one was had an overwhelming favourite. I don't even know if we need to go through the most, but for discretion of information and people will be keen to know where everyone finished. Please indulge. Who got manager of the season? Well, um, I'll go through the vote. So, Mark Stimson was uh, one of the nominations. Unfortunately, 0% of the votes for him, but uh, the com- who's up against was elite quality. So that's nothing against Mark Simpson. Five FA trophies, an unbelievable winner uh, with Hornchurch at Wembley. So it's still outstanding achievement from Mark Simpson. Zero percent uh, of the vote. Um, 10%, uh, so 5% went to Dave Chandler uh, of Hartlepool. Uh, and it'll be his playoff competitor in that second position, Gary uh, Johnson uh, of Talk United uh, with 10%, 85%. Winning manager of the season, Matt Gray of Sutton United, just waxed lyrical about more season. But phew, what a job! He, what what a job he's done. It's still quite hard to sink in what he's done at Sutton United. Like who who would have thought Matt Gray would win Sutton United the National League season? 
I don't think many people would at all. And especially the position Sutton were in uh, last season as well in the relegations. Like, what a turnaround to be for Matt Gray. So congratulations, manager yeah. of the season. Terrific achievement. Uh, I mean, he's, he's rucking up the individual awards on top of the National League title. So, yeah, Matt Gray, terrific manager. He's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful at his job. He's only been in the full-time role as manager two seasons and already has brought them to promotion. For that to happen and take them into the Football League for the very first time, he has to get credit. And obviously, big shout-out to everyone who was involved in in the race for the event for the award as well. Each to their own have had a great season. Da- Gary Johnson, long time talkie, were leading the, the race for promotion, obviously faulted a bit at the end, but he's opposite another Dave Channel will meet him in the final on Sunday at Ashton Gate. So plenty at stake there and only one can make it. But uh, yeah, Mark Stinson getting none of the votes. The reason why we I picked him and I think this is a fair justice, he deserved this on the basis of knocking out five National League sides all the way to Wembley before beating Hereford in the final. And just the the scenes that day, the performance they put in against such a a side of Hereford's calibre and history, I was stunned that he didn't didn't get any votes. So here's what we'll do. A special award... I've just thought of on the fly. This has literally not been pre-planned. I'm going to give the whole church FC of the Isthmian League a special honourable mention award for their remarkable achievement in that FA Trophy run this season. A magnificent performance from all involved in that race to Wembley and to and have have achieved such a momentous occasion. well, on this occasion, and to do it in such a way, beating the likes of Maidstone, Dulwich, Notts County on penalties, uh, Southport, oh, back, I'm sorry, sorry, not Southport, many sides, they beat too many, I can't even count, Hereford as well, they have earned their plot, their plaudits. An honourable mention award uh, for me, I call it the host award, but that sounds pretentious, an honourable mention, mention award to Hornchurch FC, Wonderful achievement, a massive congratulations to them on their FA Trophy success. They're going to meet Warrington Riders, by the way, in what is the equivalent to the Community Shield over there as well. So that's going to be an interesting game in a few weeks' time, one way or another. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find a way to cover it for you on the line too. So do keep an eye out for that one. It's a, that's a good game on offer. Now, uh, moment of the season, Tom. Uh, so again... Uh... I'll go with uh, how the votes went. So again, Hornchurch, 0%. Again, we talked about how amazing their achievement was, though. Again, they're extremely tough competition, uh, competition though. Uh, Chorley's FA Cup run got 5%. Uh, Keep the FA Cup theme in the runners' opposition. Uh, Marine hosting Tottenham Hotspur, that got 16%. Again, another overwhelming win uh, involving Sutton United. Their promotions to the Football League uh, got 79%. Again, as I said... Who would have thought that at the start of the season? Um, so, again, absolute fairy tales for, for Sutton United. And, yeah, winning it uh, by a landslide once again. So, Sutton were certainly popular on our votes. We're going to have to... 
going to be quite a difficult thing to arrange something to give them after this. Certificates <laughs> may be the best way forward. But um, yes, uh, a sus and clean sweep on the awards front. Um, so yeah, well done to Sutton United and uh, Matt Gray and Greg Eastman on their respective awards. Great achievement, obviously, for... It is a Royal of the Rover story, and we uh, people have paled it in comparison to Leicester's Premier League win five years ago. You can't blame you can't blame fans really for voting for it in the way that they did. Uh, and as always, we also thank obviously you lot for voting as well. A massive thanks for that because without your participation, we wouldn't have known how to tell how to convene uh, a winner. So we appreciate all of you tuning uh, being able to stick with us and give the vote a chance really appreciate it um we will obviously get you we want you to get involved as i said in the goal of the season uh, decision it's going to be on twitter very soon if not already if you're listening to this a few days later it should be up already so please go on to nt92 pod uh, on twitter and have a look and please get your voted for goal of the season between Will Randall against Bournemouth and Reese Oates against Maidenhead. And as I said, the goals will be quote tweeted, so will be quote tweeted on top of, so you can, they'll be tagged and you can see what each goal looked like. And oh, what a, they were both great goals as well. But massive congratulations to our award winners, Craig Eastman, Matt Gray, and Sussex United for a fantastic achievement as they reached the Football League for the very first time in their 123 year history. Mass, fantastic, really, really, really good. Finally, our podcast will have an interesting conclusion. With the season of practically over, one game obviously still to be played, but even still, that's a one-off. It's a different sort of thing altogether to what we're about to do. The Vanarama, uh, Vanarama Sponsor National League this week have brought out their team of the season. It's safe to say, myself and Tom are quite a bit disappointed with the decisions that were made by the by those involved in the decision making of who should be picked for the National League's goal uh, team of the season, well, I honestly think that we, they, they, there's a few who have been stiffed in my opinion. They have really been stiffed. I'm just having a quick gander to see where it is. While I do that, Tom, very quickly before I reveal this team of the season, who, what are your in, initial opinions about it? Um, yeah, it's, I can understand what Vanarama have actually done, uh, in terms of giving, uh, maybe some of the teams outside that sort of who were in the, the, um, the playoff race or obviously the race to get top spot, um, you know, a, a name in that team. And there's some, t- don't, don't, don't get me wrong. There's some a whole host of talented players in this league. Um, uh, you know, you look at, you know, I've got to admit, like, Lawrence Maguire has had a very good season, obviously, brother of Harry, and um, Sam Barrett's one I liked. He he got in it for, for Maynard. So, um, Luke Young for, for Wrexham was another one, I think, scored some really good goals season. So, don't get me wrong, there's some really still good good players in that list. But, um, again, another one, uh, Joe McDonnell, yeah, has had a good season for, for East Lean goal as well. But, I mean, in the secular, my I've got my own team of the season. It, there's a just having a look at this list. There's, I think there's about four, um, three that that get that are in the actual Vanarama team of the season that get in my team of the season. So 
it just shows that yeah it's all about opinions uh, and obviously again i'll emphasize once again i understand what vanarama done given you know the likes of maybe a, a main head uh, easily halifax we still have very good seasons um but you know a, a name you know a, a player of theirs uh in the team this season obviously they I think the rule, obviously, that they're given is you can't have, um, you know, one team can't have more than one player in it. So that's what they've stuck with and that's what they come up with. Don't get me wrong, all very good players, all have very good seasons. But personally, for the team of season, my rules are a bit different. I, I, I'm i more than happy to, to give players, uh, to, to give teams uh, more than one of their players in the, the team of season. Um, but, you know, for example, Carl Wharton as, a, as the leading striker in their formation, um, he still, yeah, he still had a very good season. But for example, wouldn't make my my team this season. Even though actually, I think I did pr- predict that uh, Carl Wooden for top scorer um, earlier on the season, but that hasn't uh, that hasn't happened in the end. It's my oh, me. Well, Tom's team is a bit better. I can guarantee it. Here is what the Vanarama sponsorship, along with the National League, have decided. As Tom's, you may have gathered from Tom's explanation. One player from each team is in this uh, in this team of an 11. 3-4-3 three, three formation. Again, stress this. One player from each team. There are 11 players on the pitch. They've picked 11 of the best that they think have performed this season. They are from the following. He's mentioned Joe McDonald of Eastleigh. Now, Ben Hitchcliffe, Hitchcliffe, who I've been told you cannot pronounce it as if Cliff is his last name because it's an easy... It's an easy mistake to make. But Hitchliff has been the best goalkeeper in the league this season, by far. How he's been overlooked. Deep Rosales as well. How have they both been overlooked by Joe McDonald? I haven't got a clue. But let's not disregard Joe McDonald here. While it is interesting, while it's interesting to see that there are two better keepers statistically that have been you know, overlooked, they have gone with him, with McDonald. I feel though he has had a Solid season. He's played very well. He's brought these teams to the playoffs, albeit falling short at the end. Got close to him, touching in the playoffs, I apologise. Came close, really close. Had it in their own hands in the end, but didn't perform when it mattered. So, regrets are plenty, I'm sure. But interesting choice in goal. The back three is Lawrence Maguire, related to Harry, who obviously, as Tom mentioned, who's playing at the Euros with England this summer. Jimmy John is a rock at the back for Southern United. No doubts why he shouldn't be. He should be in any team this season, let alone the National League one, in my opinion. And Sam Sherring on loan from Swansea at Torquay United. He came in partway through the season and it's really just so made that defence a lot stronger than it already was. With the experience of Carl Cameron, Gary, uh, Gary uh, was a Gary Weaver there too. Lots of talent there. Some great players. And he was an addition to that already strong back line. The midfield four, which I'm sure will spark some debate, is the following. Jeff King of Halifax on the right-hand side. Scored a fair few goals this season. None more so famous than the one he scored against Torquay United to win them the game at Blainmore. Luke Young of Wrexham, a surreal set-piece taker, great talent on the ball. He's one, I think, to watch next season, especially with what's a promise from the McReynolds investment. We're going to see how that's going to uh, play out, and hopefully he'll be able to double the team around him. John Rooney, he is the National League player of the season, voted by, voted by the National League, not us, unfortunately. 
We should have decided who was nationally winners this season. <laughs> but he's been given the player of the season for a second year in a row. I can't argue why he shouldn't be in there. Um, we can argue why he shouldn't be nationally player of the season. But he's there because surreal player to probably the best the National League has to offer. And really, he should be, he should be another massive threat for National League comes next season. If not, he will be poached in the Football League, I'm sure, again. So, you know, keep an eye on him this summer in particular. Sam Barrett, Tom mentioned him on the left-hand side. Came with revelation since he left Football League from Southend United at the end of last season. Uh, or the 1920 season, sorry. And he played a blind, had a good start to the season. Scored a f- double figures in goals. And he's really been a fundamental asset, along with Daniel Orsi in that team. In that team for Maidenhead this season, maybe if they build around him next season, there'll be a clue. And Danilo also as well. If they build well next season, Alan Devonshire's manager. You never know where Maidenhead could go. They can pull up some trees as well. They've proved that this season, beating Torquay, holding Notts County, and at times they've given sides a real hard time. So nothing guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed. The front three is pretty much three of the best marksmen in the league. And again, one player from each club. So. Reese Oates, left wing, who'll be folk, he'll be a fundamental player for the for Hartlepool on Sunday afternoon, but already this season. Again, was it 15, 16 goals this season in the National League? He's been immense. This man is a man is really good. When he's in the mood, man possessed, scores a scored a great goal. You can't ignore that. And he's got every right to be in the team of the season. Carl Wilson of Notts County, terrific striker, potent. Aerial threat is incredible. Pace on the ground. He's a he's the next big thing from the National League, in my opinion. And top scorer once again, Michael Chi. He loves scoring goals at this level. This is his level. And even if he did go up to League Two, for me, he would probably rip it up up there too. But realistically, he loves it down here in the National League. He plays well every season. He's done it for two years in a row now for Bromley. And if they could, if they could, they've retained him. Now let's see who they can bring in to help support him next season. Maybe sustain a bigger push, bigger push than the one they've already had. But now with uh, I me, mean, I'm going to agree with everything Tom says, really. So we're going to make this the not the 92 National League team of the season. Tom, as I've said, has had a very long time thinking hard and long and hard about this. So, Tom, please reveal to us your team of the season. So I'm going to start the goalkeeper. Uh, I think there's been a few clues given out by Ahmed and I. Ben, Chin- ben Hinchliffe uh, of Stockport County. Golden Glove, top goalkeeper. I did actually say in the Stockport Hartlepool review, I thought he maybe could have saved that research shot. But look at this whole season. It's been outstanding. So for me, uh, honor- honourable mention to Dean Buzanis, though. Um, again, has come in. Had big shoes to fill. Nick Zanev had a great loan spell at Sutton United from Wimbledon. But... Buzanis has done terrific. Very good with his feet as well. But I'm going to give Hinch lift the award. So on to the back four. I've gone for Dion Kelly Evans at right back. Right back was tough. I have to admit, you've got, for me, I've got to get some uh, honourable mentions at right back. Uh, Jamie Sterry of Hartlepool thinks had a very good season at right back. And so is Joe Kizzy of Bromley as well. I've just given it to Dion Kelly Evans though. I think he has got the whole lot. Aggressive tackler. And I think he's, he's got a very good cross on him as well. Um, so I would, I think I've seen him get a few, fair few votes for Notts County's player of the season as well, making up uh, the rest of the back four, uh, set the back partnership. I've gone for, uh, this was really tough. I've gone for Gary Little and Louis John. Again, I've got to give 
honourable mentions um, to Liam Hogan and Ben Goodliffe. Uh, so there's a fair few honourable mentions that are going to be given out. But I've gone with... So Louis John, I'm, I'm agreeing with Valorama's team season, putting him in the centre of that defence. But I've gone with Gary Little, being outstanding for Hartlepool. Uh, a real leader at the back for them. And he's, he's he's doing great in that back three front at the moment. And it's going to be massive in the player final at the weekend. And at left back, I've gone for Rob Milton. I I think his free kicks, but he's underrated defensively. I think his free kicks get a lot of plaudits. I, and I certainly rate about his free kicks and corners as well. But for me, he's, just, he's an all-round player. Actually, I think he's a very underrated left back in the National League, despite his mental because he played for the champions. But that's my honest opinion. I think, yeah, very underrated. Um, but he's going to be my left back. So that's the back four done. On, I've got a midfield three now. Two unbelievable captains in this. Craig Eastman and Asa Hall of Sutton and Torquay. Yeah, unbelievable leaders this season. Both very similar players in the way they break up the play and they can get forward and score. Um, just honestly, all round midfielders, leaders. And I can't leave out, obviously, the player of the season. Not player of the season, in my opinion, uh, but John Rooney still had an outstanding season. So that's some midfield three, Eastman Hall uh, and Rooney. That there, uh, that's, be, that's an unplayable uh, midfield three, actually. Now onto the front three. I've got front three of Reese Oates on the left-hand side, uh, top scorer Michael Cheek in the middle, and Connor Lemonhay Evans on the right. That for me, that's unplayable. Four, I've got four-three-three formation as well. I prefer that as well to the Vanaram formation. I like the four-three-three. Uh, three at the back can sometimes work, can sometimes not. But for me, that when you look at team seasons, sometimes just players mashed in. But I actually think this as a team as well would function so well. It's got legs in the field, and with Eastman Hall, you can do everything. But you have got Rooney's that real create creative player then. Oates and Lemonade Evans can go inside and out. Both can score goals. Michael Cheat, top scorer. The back four, Louis John, such an all-round defender. Again, Liddles, that real massive leader. And again, Kelly Evans and Milsom. Kelly Evans is that fullback who really bombed forward. Uh, Milsom, the one who maybe wouldn't associate with bundles of pace, but technical ability, he makes up for it in hard work and uh, positional awareness. He's got the lot as well. And um, Hinchliffe and goal. Yeah, uh, golden glove. Need I say more? Just catches everything. Uh, a commanding goalkeeper, someone you know, stop all, Obviously, about the most clean sheets this season. That really says it all, and that's the fact why I gave Hogan an honourable mention as well. So for me, that's the National League team of season, unplayable in my opinion. Terrific, Tom. Well done. That's a very good team, and I think that's represented the general feeling, not just from you, but I'd agree on, on near enough every single player you've just mentioned there. Uh, I have no arguments. I feel that we, there'll be a few that will want to raise debates in the comments. And if you do, feel free. We're going to stick our team season on our Twitter feed for you to indulge at. But we, I feel like more Sutton players deserve to be in there. A few more from Hartlepool and just the, the fair balance as well. They've earned their rights this season. The majority of those players to be in our team this season, just based on how good they were, how impressive they've been for their clubs. So, Great choices by Tom there. And that is officially, I'm not disagreeing with him on any of the options he's picked. I promise that is our National League team this season for the 2021 season. So props, Tom. Well done, mate. That's a very good set of players you've picked there. And hopefully next season will be just as tricky because we don't know who could be the next big things in the National League for 
for the 21-22 season. Um, I'm, I'm guessing with that being sorted, we've pretty much tucked up everything we need to do this week. Well, almost. We have to give out our Star of the Week award. We always do it. But kind of nowadays, some beer company of Holland have stolen our award. We may be contacting them for, uh, for legal matters because of this. Uh, no, Heineken, you're nice people, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, our Star of the Week, quite literally, um, well, I'm torn between a few this week, and there have been some good performances in the well, in the semi-finals. Obviously, that's where we're looking at for our star this week. Um, but we don't have to give it outside of non-league. But we're going to do it this week. To Simon Kier, to the yeah. Danish medical officials, to the people who are involved in helping Christian Eriksen get back to his consciousness, to the hospital staff, and to every single one of the Danish and Finnish fans who were in attendance on Saturday, you all get our start of the week uh, this week. Uh, I wish we could do something bigger, but for all of the... And Anthony Taylor as well, can't ignore it, English ref, Eltringham fan, ironically. So... All of those people combined played a huge role in saving Christian Eriksen's life on Saturday following his collapse against Finland. So for that alone, I feel we've got, I've got no other place to go to give that award but to those people who I've just named. So to everyone there, could take that award as our way of support and thanking you for everything you did this weekend to save a human life it's football is a wonderful sport but life is just that much more and we'd like to keep living it as much as we can so to you or to all of you involved on saturday in copenhagen you've got my love you've got my our support as well and our press pro again our best wishes and prayers to christian erickson again Hopefully, a full and speedy recovery from a horrible, horrible thing on Saturday. But it won't deter the Danish people. They have, having been to Denmark, I can tell you for sure there is a great. That's a great country. Some wonderful people. The locals there are very friendly as well. I, only, I was only in Herning, but even Herning is a very nice town. It's a very old school town. The country's beautiful on a sunny day. I can tell you that for sure. Although when I went, it was raining. Even still. It was welcoming, and sometimes you can see deer crossing the street. So, if you go to a country with deer crossing the street, you've already got one. You've already won life, in my honest opinion. Um, but yeah, that's all. Uh, I appreciate all of you for tuning in, Tom. Thank you as always for joining me. I hope you've uh, you've added some great sense to what was a, a hard choice on the awards front and also on the playoffs, and now. Sunday is the final day of the absolute madness of the playoffs. We're excited. Oh, I can't wait. I, as I said, I predicted two on Torquay, but it could go either way. I'm, I'm expecting a great final. And this season has been weird. There's been a lot of, there's been downs, but there's been a lot of ups as well. Thoroughly enjoyed this National League season. It's been so entertaining. And for me, I hope we get the crowning end of a Mason Plath final. I, as a neutral, I want this going down to penalties. I think these two teams have worked so hard. I think they're not going to give up. And I, I'm expecting a great final. So, yeah, can't wait for Sunday. Uh, <laughs> run my hands together just thinking about it. I think it's going to be a great clash between two quality sides. Fantastic. Tom, thank you. 
I appreciate everything you've done for us this week, and we'll be back. And I'm sure we'll see you again next week. We'll definitely be back next week for another episode of Euro Not the 92. We'll definitely have a lot more Euros to talk about because the group stages will be done next week. We will also give you an in-depth review of the playoff final between Torquay United and Hartlepool. Though that game is sure to entertain. And honestly, if you need drama, if you want some excitement, that's the place you want to go to. So BT Sport, Sunday, 12 p.m. Get in there and give it a look. And then, and then, obviously, we'll talk a bit more about our goal of the season and more National League news as well. But until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Look after one another. Enjoy, well, there's some sorrowing weather outside. Wherever you are listening to us from in, around the world, we thank you for joining us this week, and we'll see you again soon. If you don't know now, now you know. Have a good weekend, everyone, and see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>